Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Today, I'm thrilled to be chatting to Charlie Eggman. Charlie originally trained as a movement artist, as well as studying both Japanese and Korean studies. He arrived at photography as a form of visual notation before moving into the commercial and fine art sector. He's focused really on pushing the scope of visual possibility and how he can entangle himself in some of the complicated ideas that surround photography. His first monograph, Mum, a collection of images of his mother made over the last decade, was recently published. And it explores some really fascinating ideas about roles, categories, power dynamics, performativity, the expectations and codes of society, as well as being this really beautiful and poignant relationship that him and his mum share as collaborators, as well as mother and son. In this episode, we talk about the dynamics of photography, the role of context and positionality, as well as exploring his recent book. It's a real roving conversation and one that I enjoyed so much. I hope you enjoy it too. I wanted to start by talking about your distrust in photography, because (laughs) I think (laughs) it speaks to kind of (laughs) <laughs> a foundational element in your work. So I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. My distrust of photography. Oh, I think I'm just a generally, I, distrust is maybe the wrong word for me. I would say I'm just generally a skeptical person. I just like to ask a lot of clarifying questions or at least sort of with my behavior, demonstrate a sort of active, sort of positive type of skepticism where anything that sort of claims a sense of authority or a sense of stability um, or a sense of sort of like wholeness, to me, I just, I don't have a lot of personal experience of that type of, of like solid authority. So to me, when I, when I come ac- across something that kind of represents itself in that way, yeah, I just, my natural inclination is to sort of just interrogate it and poke it and see, you know, which parts of that, that kind of veneer is is real and solid and which parts are a little bit kind of a little prickly or sort of more porous than it might otherwise appear. Um, and so photography is no different for me. And obviously photography has a sort of well-known relationship to ideas of truth and 
and and reality. So uh, naturally, that's something that I have just like even a greater amount of skepticism towards. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that because I've kind of really long admired how you animate this confrontation with... I guess a way of phrasing it would be like photography's binary nature and how your work kind of seeks to destabilize, as you just said, kind of like that space between duality. So I'm thinking about ideas like between public and personal and abstract and specific and author and subject. And it's kind of pushing. Yeah, what's so vibrant for me is that it's pushing at the scope of like visual possibility. And I wondered if you could talk about your intentions around that and why it's so vital for you. Yeah, I mean, for me, photography, you know, I kind of accidentally backed my way into photography. I sort of came to photography because I wanted to do some other things and photography was just around and available and easy for me to deal with. So I sort of ended up with photography kind of one day like, oh, my God, I'm a photographer. What do I do now? Um, And so I've had a very kind of complicated relationship trying to figure out like, okay, if this is actually what I'm doing, what is it that I am doing and how does it serve me and how does it serve the things that I'm interested in and the ways that I want to communicate? And yeah, because I have a sort of general skepticism towards a kind of binary way of thinking or a binary logic, I don't know. I found that photography actually was really a good way of of looking at that kind of thing because I, I'm not going to be able to articulate this in like a very clean way, but basically I found that sort of, if you imagine sort of a triangle and on, you know, on the bottom part of the triangle, you know, triangle has three points and on the bottom two points is a sort of a linear line, which has a binary. So let's say there's like public and personal on both bottom points of the, the triangle. To me, photography sort of became that sort of third point on the triangle above it where you could kind of pull out and you would a- you were able to sort of see both ends of the binary and sort of occupy all of the space in between all of that. Does that make sense? I don't know. That's extremely Yeah, abstract. it definitely does. No, it does yeah. make sense. Totally. Yeah. I just found that photography was like a really nice sort of, I, I, I wanted to call it clean, even though it's definitely messy as, as your podcast <laughs> title implies, but you know, it's sort of like a convenient way to just sort of hold all of that weird contradictory sort of binary, but also kind of slippy logics that we're all sort of constantly up against. And that for me is sort of like a a deep obsession of my life generally. I found photography was just like a really good way to sort of both be very binary and sort of enact the binary, but also sort of show the whole spectrum of the binary in a way. To be honest, it's something that I come up increasingly more and more with the writing that I do as well when I'm trying to write about photography and kind of dismantle this sort of multiplicity that is often contradictory and it's just it's sort of really vibrant and generative but really annoying at the same time yeah yeah exactly I mean the thing is like you can't ever I mean you you can only do one thing at a time sort of Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean yeah You're just constantly reaching for something that you can't quite get, but it's a really vibrant space. So you're really desperate to get there, but you just, it's just always out of reach, just out of reach. Um, Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. Yeah. Um, So yeah, you, you kind of mentioned there, you you kind of came to photography through kind of multiple different um, points of view in that you studied Japanese and Korean studies, but also you were a movement artist, which I feel like is really interesting because 
I've always been drawn to your work because it's so active and has all of these really interesting gestures. And also even in your work, which maybe perhaps doesn't include people, there's a real sculptural element and a real sense of movement in that work. I wondered how your own performativity manifests in your process as a photographer. So not just in the subject of the work, but also in how you create the work as a photographer and that sort of performativity around how you I guess direct or or conjure an environment when you're working with somebody sure yeah uh, no I think that's an interesting question because I'm sort of another obsession of mine is a idea of sort of positioning oneself constantly is sort of being able to sort of like demarcate your kind of zone of authority and like allow that to be both penetrable but also sort of concrete and and fixed in a way and sort of saying like okay this is this is who I think I am this is where I think I am coming from and this is what I think I'm trying to do and being very transparent about that and then seeing kind of what types of reactions sort of result from that kind of transparency and communication and that's something that is super hard work because a you have to you know, nobody actually really knows what position they occupy. You know, they can kind of locate themselves for themselves. But the second that you involve someone else or any other kind of context, you let that into that sort of process. And of course, immediately you're destabilized and your position becomes entirely relative, which it always was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and in photography is just a very pointed example of that, I think, where you have these sort of very kind of ostensibly fixed roles of yeah, author and subject or whatever. Um, and, you know, if my sort of, uh, my kind of modus operandi is to sort of always kind of transparently position myself in a certain kind of way, what happens when you kind of let the subject play with that back at you? And I don't know, that's something I try to to do in a lot of different ways. And uh, yeah, when I'm making photographs, I try to A, like not have overly defined results in mind, or, or I try to be less goal oriented in a certain type of way. Um, I try to be as kind of reactive as possible and let people sort of push back at, at what I'm sort of defining as my position and necessarily like by the act of photo- photography, I'm sort of also sort of suggesting what the thing I'm photographing's position is as well. Um, you know, and so to me, it's important to sort of just um open myself up to that kind of dynamic uh and and yeah and let whatever kind of performance sort of uh appears in that um sort of guide the process I've always been fascinated about photographers who come through or via performance in some ways because the people that I know that have done that really have just a really unique take on on the dynamics of photography in terms of how it is made, which I just, yeah, I find endlessly fascinating. It's really, it, the, the disciplines are so close together, but yet, I don't know, there's like, yeah, it's just there's some interesting tension there. Everyone is sort of performing anyway all the time, mm-hmm. right? And like yeah. photography sort of creates a, a very unique, I think, and very kind of confusing sort of specific type of performance you know like the way that people show up to photography is often very different than they show up in real life um whatever you know quote unquote real life whatever you know Mm. um like when my camera is down 
someone like the person in front of me might react in a very different way. And the second that I lift my camera up and I'm, you know, looking at them with that eyeball rather than my own two eyeballs, like they behave in a very different way and they sort of bring a different type of performativity to the process. And that's something that I find personally just extremely interesting. And it's, you know, it's very context specific and everybody kind of shows up in a very unique and different way. And that's, that's one very motivating factor in, in working with photography is just sort of like, see that it's a very it's a very insightful tool to sort of look at how people interact with the world Mm. we talked before about how your practice is kind of rooted in this sort of belief and value system uh celebrating like the idiosyncratic the incidental the marginal and the messy and i wondered how you cultivate that for yourself in a for lack of a better word, like a capitalist system, which wants us to progress in a forward motion at all times. And, you know, that pressure, yeah, that pressure to constantly be producing, you know, that those kinds of intentions are so precious. How do you navigate that? It's super hard. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, it's a constant struggle to sort of half quote Angela Davis, you know, it's like a, it's like, it's a process, you know, and I would say like, you know, when I first started, first of all, like, again, to position myself, like I'm a white person from like a semi-affluent, you know, solidly middle-class American family. Like I had a lot of freedom to sort of behave as if I could give no fucks. And like, there was sort of no, no, pit that was going to open up beneath me, you know, if I made a mistake, Mm -hmm. you know, so there was a little bit of um, entitlement in the beginning where I could sort of be messy and just protect myself or have the feeling of protection there, you know, and that's something that is very complicated. And obviously, you know, the more my work developed and the more sort of um, well-known it became, let's say, you know, the more that kind of comfortable feeling of sort of soft entitlement can grow. But that said, even still, like I do think at the beginning of my kind of journey with photography or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I, I think I did have a very linear idea about it. You know, I was really trying to like connect with other people and 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 other modes of visibility and really like speak to like what I imagined everyone else seeing which you know because we live in this sort of capitalist frame that you described you know I imagine that everyone else thinks in a very linear way even if that's not necessarily my own personal experience so I think at the beginning of my of my dealing with photography I definitely like had a sort of linear, you know, I like built a career. I became a commercial photographer pretty quickly in, into my use of photography. And like, you know, I had some rather careerist moments. Uh, And again, like that helped develop that sort of bed of entitlement that like eventually made me realize like, you know what, actually, I like actually care about these complicated, messy, like necessarily like non-commercial, not necessarily even like positive or happy or, or like easy things. Those are the things that actually motivate me and I think are actually valuable and important and actually are like worth sharing and communicating. You know, I think I need to prioritize that 
even if that comes at the cost of maybe some other things that feel more sort of like immediate or more comfortable in a sort of like neoliberal frame, so to speak. Um, But I don't know. I mean, that's something that is a constant negotiation for me. Like I said, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's also like, you don't want to be like to talk about entitlement more. It's like, you don't want to be like that total brat who's just doing it because like, fuck you, I can do it. And I want to do it. You know, like you're all, again, you're still like interfacing with other people and you're, you have to hold other people's experiences that you necessarily like will never understand, you know, you can't predict. So I don't know. I mean, it's something that I, yeah, is I'm figuring out day by day. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience in the commercial world as well, because you've done really well at navigating that space and being able to still very much exist within your own visual language or aesthetic framework or kind of whatever you want to call it. I'm curious what your experience has been like and how you feel about that aspect of your work. Yeah, I I have to admit it's been a very frustrated experience. (laughs) I became like kind of commercially active very, very early in my life as a photographer, you know, it was, I think I maybe had like a year or two where I was just toying with photography. And then it just very quickly got picked up by people who would pay me money. And I I needed money, you know, I needed to pay my rent and survive and like, become an adult. And so my work has just always been I want to use the word I might, (laughs) I wanted to use the word infected, which is obviously a very hot button word right now. And I don't know if that's the word I mean, but you know, it like became- Roll with quickly, it, roll with it. I'm going to roll with it. It came like infected very early with a sort of commerciality, um, which I think everything that we do is these days. It took me a while to sort of realize, you know, that mm-hmm. like commerciality is just infusing our lives every which way. Um, but, you know, my sort of very kind of naive and very sort of, raw interest in photography just became very quickly instrumentalized and that is something that I have always or like sense and still like really struggle with in in very generative ways often like I think that struggle has been very good for me in a lot of ways and it has been very insightful for me but you know like the the commercial photographer's job basically is to describe value or describe desire you're you know you're sort of given an object or a set of certain circumstances or whatever and you're asked to make it look good you know make it look Mm. desirable or valuable in some way and you know what are the mechanisms that are going on behind that is something that I think commercial photography really put to the forefront in my mind you know like okay like how do you make a woman look valuable or desirable like in what context what kind of things are under or swirling around that depiction and how do I kind of navigate that and how do I you know meet sort of an external need like okay let's call it the client if we're talking about commercial photography like okay the client is this sort of like externality that has a lot of its own ideas of value and desire and then there's me as the maker who have my own kind of personal experience has my own personal experience and then you know, and then there's like the weird amorphous third party, you know, to get it back into the triangle, maybe, of like the the, the consumer, you know, mm. and like, how do I negotiate all of those different prerogatives that I actually, and the only one I can kind of understand in any sort of half way is my own position. Um, but obviously, like, 
I can't survive only on my own position. So I don't know, commercial photography really like made me become even more obsessed with that, those kind of questions. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting, like, you know, commerciality, let's call it, I don't know what to call it, but it has its own like very specific aesthetics, I guess. I'm not sure what the right word is, but it, like, you know, like I realize sometimes that it's also really affected like just generally how I look at things, you know, like generally speaking in my photography to be very pedantic, like I have a tendency to just like put things right in the middle of the picture, you know, to like my compositions are very like oftentimes like a little bit straightforward because I'm like, well, this is sort of like a weird language that I've kind of adopted from from commercial language and commercial prerogatives that I have to oftentimes step back and be like, well, why am I trying to like show this whole, the totality of this thing? Or why am I only focusing on this one aspect of the thing? Does that come from a sort of language of, of commerce or consumption? Or does that actually come from something else that I'm actually more invested in, in a more meaningful and emotional way? It's really interesting listening to you describe it because I spent 10 years working in advertising in various sort of guises and I've really had to actively unlearn and disentangle my way of seeing from those aesthetics of desire. I'm still working on it now and I find myself like having an encounter with a work and, and then having this reaction and then coming back to it and having a completely different reaction, not realizing that yeah. I'm falling back into that way of way of being. Cause I spent more, yeah. more time in, inside that than, than out of it so far. Yeah. It's very interesting. My sister who I have an older sister and she, when I was first starting with photography, I really tried to involve her as like a subject of mine because she was around and you know, she was just someone available for me to photograph. And she gave me a lot of pushback because she was like, you know what, you're just like always interested in making things ugly. You know, like you want to make things ugly. You're obsessed with ugly. It's this weird kind of like irony that you're doing. You're like so hipster, basically. You know, (laughs) this is what, this is like 2008 or something. So hipster was a very, you know, blanching, very painful epithet. And um, yeah. And, um, you know, we had just very different relationships to ideas of convention and, you know, let's, let's extrapolate from convention to say like commerciality. And it's interesting because like, yeah, I do think I have an interest in like ugliness or like, let's call it messiness or whatever. Um, And sometimes it's interesting for me to think like, well, what is that interest? Is that actually an interest that is solely in opposition to these ideas of convention and commerciality? Like, am I interested in it simply because it offers an alternative or a refusal or a rejection of this sort of dominant idea of convention, which, you know, for me as a queer person, as a sort of like very sensitive individual in a capitalist, confusing capitalist system, like, am I just like gravitating towards something that's just the opposite of that? Or is there something like more is there something deeper and more like real that spring up of that? And that's a question that I kind of constantly have to ask myself when I'm sort of drawn to things that are, I, I kind of know or intuit are sort of like transgressive, let's say, or, or are sort of like sad or wrong or, or whatever, you know? And that's, that's also something is like, I'm, you know, it's constantly being sort of plagued by the shroud of, of commerce or, yeah, I don't know. And in a way too, that's like also like, I don't want to also give 
those modes too much power either and say, well, everything is just a rejection or an acceptance of those things. So I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a constant struggle, as I said. I feel like the photograph in many ways is just one phase of your work and it often evolves further through collage or layering or some kind of digital manipulation. And it feels like it's this really generative space which allows you to play with the idea of multiples. I guess going back to what we talked about earlier, like breaking free of that binary and kind of inventing your own realm where you can have all these visual contradictory collisions, I guess. And I wondered what what that process holds for you in terms of this kind of deconstruction and reconstruction of the visual frame. For me, you know, I sort of like started off positioning myself as a skeptic, right? Um, And so kind (laughs) of keeping in that tradition, to me, like one single photograph is, you know, interesting insofar as like the context within which it exists, you know? So to me, like everything kind of has to exist in relationship to something else. And that's kind of just what collage and sort of reinterpreting images and reinterpolating images or whatever. That's just like a way of making that very clear and being very transparent about that kind of interactivity, so to speak. You know, for me, yeah, like, yeah, I'm much more interested in how images relate to each other and relate to sort of lived experience than I am in trying to make any one image like an amazing sort of iconic image. Because I kind of also think like an iconic image only becomes iconic because it relates to other people's experiences in a very specific type of way. So for me, it's just, it's just so obvious to, to, to kind of fuck with your photos, you know? Mm. Um, Because also like, that's the beautiful thing about photography as opposed to like, let's say sculpture or painting or whatever other types of artistic media is that like, you can copy it a million times. You can make it big, you can make it small. You can put it on a computer, you can put it on a wall, you can fold it, you know, like there's like all sorts of things you could do with it. Um, So like, why would you not avail yourself of all those possibilities? You know, it's, it's almost just as simple as that. It's like, I can do it. I should do it. (laughs) You know, You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. You recently (laughs) released Mom, a 10-year collaboration with your mum, Kathleen, where you kind of use her and work with her and collaborate with her as a way to disrupt ideas, social labels, thinking about things like gender, age and class, photographic categories, as we talked about earlier, and societal expectations. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the work and how it began. Sure. So, you know, very much in the same way that I described sort of photographing my sister a bit earlier is that when I was figuring out photography for for myself, my mom was just around, you know, I, I was making pictures of absolutely everything and anything. And she sort of presented herself as one of those anythings and everythings. And so I, I started taking pictures of her and she's also, you know, her, personality and her sort of presence in my life is she's she's present she's very active you know she's she wants to sort of engage with my life and my well-being and she sort of makes herself actively available and so you know as any photographer I think does you know they sort of just say like okay this is what I this is what's accessible to me like let's see what I can do with it and so that was sort of the spirit in which I sort of initially started to photograph my mom you know she she was there. And so I photographed her. And then when I photographed her, you know, 
both like the image itself, when I would kind of look back at the image, I would sort of see her in a very different way than I kind of am used to seeing her in my day-to-day life. You know, I, you know, the thing about photography is it's sort of like, it has a sort of unforgiving quality. And I say unforgiving, not necessarily pejoratively, just in the sense that like, you know, it doesn't miss things, you know, it like records everything and it makes you, you're able to focus in on things that you might otherwise not be, not have been able to pay attention to in the act or in the, in the moment. Um, so there was like that aspect where I could sort of see her in this very kind of different way. And then also just sort of talk a little bit about that sort of performativity that I was sort of alluding to earlier is that she would also sort of show up to the camera in a very specific type of way that I thought was very sort of surprising and interesting. Um, and yeah, it started off very casual in the sense where we were just, I would just sort of every once in a while when the thought occurred to me, I would sort of either like on a spontaneous sort of documentary vein, take a picture of her kind of in situ, or I would say like, oh, I want to try this thing. Can you like put on this coat? Or like, can you do this pose? Or like, can I borrow like your arm for a second, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and, um, you know, it started off being very like simple like that and very kind of what you would expect from maybe a certain type of like mother child relationship or like she wants to be helpful for me as my mom. And so she becomes, so I, she helps me, you know, but then the more that I, we kind of did it and the more it sort of developed. And also like, as I started developing a commercial career and sort of seeing how, you know, I I was starting to work with other people who are outside of my sort of like personal remit, you know, I was working with strangers, I was working with models um, I started to really realize that like, oh, actually, I'm having a very unique experience photographing my mom, not only because she is like a very unique person in and of herself, which everyone is, but also just there is some dynamic here that I should be more specific about looking at, I think. I think what's particularly powerful in the work is the variety of ways in which you first show your mum, from like fragile and vulnerable to this unrelenting sort of strength and power. At times it feels like your gaze is so loving and then at others it can almost feel cruel. And I wondered what it was like to work with your mum over a prolonged period of time and how it informed or shifted your personal relationship as well as your relationship as artistic collaborators. Sure. Yeah. So like I said at the beginning, um, you know, I think I was um, it was a very sort of utilitarian interaction with her. Yeah. Uh, so she has this book group. My mom has this book group that she's been in, involved with for like 25 years or something like this. And, that's, you know, we just made a book of the work that we've done together over 10 plus years. So naturally, sort of, she was like, okay, I have a book. Let's, the book group should discuss my book, you know. And her book group had such an interesting um, variety of of reactions to it um and one of them you know one of the book group members said you know at first i was very kind of upset by this work because when i looked at it my initial thought was you know oh charlie is using you and i'm kind of quoting this is what my mom has sort of quoted to me from um you know she said like oh i thought charlie was using you and it made me very upset and that was so interesting to me to read that type of reaction because on the one sense, uh, oh, first I have like a couple questions, like using her for what, <laughs> you know, is like one <laughs> question I had, which is like a real question, you know, like, what am I, what am I using her for? And like, what does it mean? Like, what are you implying by me using her? 
and then you know also like of course that's what i'm doing you know like is that not like a photographer depicting anything is in some way sort of using whatever they're depicting in service to whatever their vision is right so to me that was like a very interesting kind of reaction to hear and also like i you know it was also very insightful because of course at the beginning of the process i think that's very much what i was doing is saying like okay well this is this thing that like i can kind of take for granted and i can kind of play with however i see fit and i know sort of what the parameters of that relationship are and i feel very comfortable sort of asking things of my mom because she's my mom and she sort of owes me something as her child so like you better help me with this and i'm going to tell you what to do you know, and that actually can be super generative, I think. And I think, you know, she sort of responded to that type of interaction as well, because that was sort of a mode that we had as family members. But then as the work kind of developed and I became more of just, frankly, like a mature adult um, who had to navigate my own relationships outside of my family and whatever, you know, I started to realize like, oh, no, like, okay, this is a real person. And, you know, photography has all these very sticky, complicated aspects of control and authority and those kind of things. So yeah, as the work developed, I really was forced to sort of like figure out who, who I was in relationship to her really, and who she was in relationship to me, but not only to me, but in relationship to people outside me who might not know anything about me or our relationship, just making the work just really quickly destabilized all the assumptions that I didn't even realize I had that I was making about her, about me, about ideas of motherhood, about ideas of photography in general, about ideas of representation. So yeah, I can't, it's hard for me to give you like a specific non-abstract example because it's just, again, it's been such a sort of like dynamic shift over the course of 10 plus years Mm. Yeah, I mean, to be a fly on the wall at that book club, can you imagine? Mm. No, it must listen, have been extraordinary. I, I find it so fascinating because also, you know, so this woman, she said, you know, at first I thought that you were being used and it made me very upset. But then the more I looked at it and also like reading the essays that were in the book that sort of gave it some more contextual flavor, like I started to realize like, oh, actually, this is something very different. And it actually made me think about myself as whatever a woman and whatever. I don't, mm. I, I didn't read her comments. So I don't know what she actually said, but you know, according, based on my mom's depiction of it, you know, it sounds like she had a sort of transformative experience with the book. And then there was another member of the book group who wrote this very terse email saying like, we are just members of the same book, book group. We are not friends. I understand that some people love your work uh, that you've doing with your son. I personally find it disgusting or something. I wish I could use, remember the exact word she said. She said like, I find it disgusting or I wish I could remember the exact word um but you know so there was this whole panoply of of reactions from it which is very interesting because you know there are people that have known her personally for you know over over 20 years they're all people of her same sort of ostensible categories you know they're like women of her age that are American they're white they're in a similar class bracket as her you know it was very interesting to see or just to hear all these different kind of reactions from those people. Um, and that's something that, you know, to me, like makes the work almost like worthwhile, you know? Yeah. It feels like one of the reasons why the book and the project is so fascinating is how it sits within these often limiting cultural expectations of what a relationship between a mother and son is, and maybe more importantly, what it is not. 
And it sounds so reductive, but in many ways it could be seen as taboo, which is kind of what I guess, you know, some of the reactions of the book club were kind of getting at to engage in this, the level of openness and freedom of expression that you both did. And in many ways, it is disarming to see this kind of intimacy, which I think says more about society than the relationship that you have with your mum. But yeah, I'm curious, like, it must have been interesting how that manifested, as you described earlier, in the making of the work, but perhaps even more so in the showing of the work, once you released the book, did you you bump up against, yeah, did you bump up against a lot there? Uh, Yeah, well, yeah, because it's very, it's one thing for me and her to make the work, because that's, you know, a very kind of personal experience. And we, you know, it's very clear, we're both aware of what's going on. And we have active dialogue while we do that. And so, you know, all these kind of questions about whatever gender and social position and age, whatever, all the questions that sort of like, the work kind of naturally begs, like, I'm not thinking about those questions necessarily when I'm making that work, because it's just like, this is my mom, you know, like, I know Mm. who she is, at least I feel that I know she who she is. And we're having a conversation about her and me as individuals when we're making this work. But then of course, when you show the work, she becomes a sort of like anonymous category depiction. You know what I mean? Like that's what mm. that's what photography does. It sort of like necessarily flattens a certain type of personal lived experience. And that can be extremely exciting and generative and and liberatory. And it can also be extremely damning and problematic and painful. Um, and I think, you know, like necessarily all of those reactions came out from that work and showing it. I mean, you know, generally speaking to me, I generally get positive reactions to the work because that's just the rules of etiquette. Generally, it's like people aren't usually <laughs> telling me, you know, like I'm that's why it was so amazing to have this this member of her book group say send an email to her saying, like, I don't like this and we are not friends because of this. You know, that's amazing because that's such a valuable, that's such a valuable reaction to hear. Like, I don't usually get to hear that type of negative reaction. Usually people just ignore you. You know what I mean? If they don't like it. So, yeah. But then on the positive end of the spectrum, obviously, I think a lot of people have come and really bared their experiences to me of their own, their own experiences with their mothers, or if they are mothers themselves, like their experience of being a mother or you know even if it's not even about motherhood just whatever the work will bring things up in them that they can relate to in some way and that's been really exciting to sort of hear different people's experiences as kind of filtered or as kind of held by the work. When we talked previously we talked about Sheila Hetty's essay for Aperture Mm -hmm. about this project and how she explores the role of power in your work and she talks about your mum's strength and your mum's magnetic force which I thought was great but she also puts forward this idea that perhaps it's your mum who is the artist and your camera is her tool which is obviously quite provocative and interesting And I'd love to hear what you, I guess, firstly made of her piece, but also curious to hear about how you think about criticism and I guess the photographic writing that circulates around your practice and how, if it indeed does, it informs your practice. Yeah, well, to speak specifically about Sheila Hetty's piece, I mean, she's someone whose writing I've always really loved. And I was, it, it was very in awe that she even kind of deigned to write about my work, which is amazing. And, um, but I have to say when I first read it, I was really, I don't know what my reaction, how to exactly describe my reaction. I guess I was sort of like, 
shocked. I don't know if shocked is the right the right word, but the way that she's the way that I originally read what she wrote, um, and this is me kind of remembering from several years ago, so I don't know, but um, is that like she kind of really let me in in a very insightful way, like how other people might experience their own mothers and the experience of having a mother and and interacting with their mother. Like she sort of my at least memory of reading the piece is that, you know, for all this sort of like complimentary things she said about the work, she sort of was also like, I can't even like imagine like what this type of interaction would be like. Like I can't imagine mm-hmm. having this type of interaction with my own mother. Um, which is sort of a comment that I get, I've gotten a lot, you know, after that. And yeah, I don't know. That's just been something that's very interesting to me because obviously I only have my one experience <laughs> with my own mother. And like, to me, that's like what having a mother feels like, but obviously that's a very different experience than someone like Sheila Hetty might have had. So I don't know. I, I, I remember having, you know, it's been a while since I've read that piece so I need to reread it, but I remember having a sort of like a couple waves of reaction to that work at first being kind of confused and then a bit provoked and then a bit like feeling like really seen, but at the same time seeing, feeling like, oh, maybe like she can't, like she really doesn't understand my experience of this. And I guess I have to, like, that's okay, you know? And that's actually maybe even more interesting is that like, I can never fully communicate like what this, feels for her and me and what this means for us. And maybe it's actually not important to communicate that. I've had a lot of different kind of conversations about the work, obviously. And one conversation that I had, interestingly, um, was really on the photographic side of the work where this person was looking at my work and and was saying like, oh, I can see that you're like really exploring sort of the past 40 years in photography. Like, oh, here you have like a, you have a Collier Shore picture. Here you have a Jurgen Teller picture. Here you have an Elad Lassery picture or whatever. And sort of rattled off this sort of, this like list of, of makers. And it was very interesting to have that kind of reaction to the work. Because of course, like as a working photographer, those are necessarily sort of, that's like the food I eat in a sort of very functional Mm -hmm. technical way. Like I look at other photography and necessarily that kind of stuff will infiltrate how I look at things. And I am very curious about how different modes of aesthetics and visuality create different reactions and make different contexts for the thing that you're depicting. And that's something that I was very interested in bringing into my work. So it was kind of interesting to like have that be seen and heard in the work. But then also I felt like, but yeah, but this, at the same time, that's like neither here nor there. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. it's both like totally essential, but also totally arbitrary, which is something that I like to sort of, I, I like to describe my work or like all parts of my work in that way where like, it's all sort of essential and arbitrary. Like it could be anything else, but it isn't. So like, it, it is necessarily like creating what it is. There's been like such a kind of, polyphony of different types of reactions to the work that I don't know if there's any like one specific sort of reaction that I've sort of internalized or like has really inflected my work but it's definitely you know how can you not sort of respond to people's critiques or reactions to your work you know it necessarily kind of enters the soup right yeah it's interesting now I think because there's I mean this is probably always been the case but for some reason it feels so palpable now that photographic writing and criticism 
I guess because there's so many photographers now, so many pr- practitioners, it doesn't feel as present as perhaps the photographic writing that is done from a PR point of view, because obviously <laughs> people are generating so much all the time, so much work, books, projects, exhibitions. It feels like so much of photographic writing is dominated by almost like, and I don't mean to be cruel, but like, because I write a lot of that as, that stuff as well. Like it's it mm. feels like, sort of on the PR agenda more than it is necessarily <laughs> like criticism. So it is, it yeah. is really interesting, I think. And and we're pa- perhaps as an industry, we do ourselves a bit of, of a disservice in that that isn't more balanced because sure. I think, yeah, the criticality can help. Inform yeah. Ev- you know, it's good for everybody. Yeah, I think so. But also, you know, like what the, like, dumb phrase what a picture is worth a thousand words <laughs> you know like a picture is it's you you sort of kill a picture by trying to sort of explicate it in words sometimes and the best you can do i think in that context or it, when you're talking about critical writing about photography i think is to use photography as a prompt to open up discussions that are maybe more urgent or more meaningful and to like really dig into the sort of photographic side of it. To me personally, it's just like, it's just less interesting. It feels less urgent, let's say. Mm. Um, uh, To me, it's more interesting to think like, okay, what did the photography prompt in you? Like, why do you you have the reactions that you have to it? Um, How can you relate that to your own sort of material lived existence and the, the kind of lived and material existence of other people? To finish up, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask guests at the end of the show, which is what matters most to you, the experience of making the work or the final image? Right. <laughs> yes, this uh, mean question. <laughs> it's not, no, it's mean only because it's like, it's as complicated as all that other stuff we were talking about. <laughs> I don't know. To me, like, I, I kind of need both, you know, like I... It's like, do you want your right leg or your left leg? <laughs> you you know? can have both. Both is an absolutely like valid answer. Great, both, both. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. You know, well, right, because I, I, like I said, like I, you know, I'm obsessed with this idea of like positioning yourself and the idea of context, as I said, and like you, the experience of making something has to go hand in hand with like the experience of exhibiting something and having other people relate to this thing and like reaching across the aisle, you know, and like offering something to other people to consider. Um, I don't know. I think that both of those things are so essential. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.